I found a little article that came out of the uh, Wall Street Journal. In fact, it says, Keeping a New Year's tradition, Americans don't keep resolutions. Let me read just a portion of it. Like lemmings scurrying to certain doom, millions of Americans are beating a path to eventual frustration. They again are making New Year's resolutions. To be exact, 1.8 resolutions per American, says John Knockross, who spent six years studying the annual exercise. What a thing to do a research paper on. His findings are not reassuring. Good intentions barely outlast wilting Christmas trees. With one in four resolvers breaking their promises within one week, about half managed to hang on for about a month, but by June, only about 40% can boast of sticking to their goal. Dr. Norcross, who also heads the psychology department of the University of Scranton in Pennsylvania, says people tend to rely on good old gumption, which is a recipe for failure. Excessive reliance upon willpower backfires. It's a great American myth. Americans' most popular goal for the new year is to lose weight. A few chuckles out there, a few nudges. A very close second is to get personal finances organized. I think for many people, it's just to get personal finances, period. (laughs) And then after that, to stop or reduce smoking. And then a steady 3% said they intend to either improve relationships with the spouse, become closer to God, or be a better parent. 13% didn't know what their most important resolution would be. Now, all that to point to a very important truth. We want a clean slate. We want things different. We want to change. We don't want status quo. We want somehow to know that our lives are making progress or becoming better than they were last year. We want somehow to have what we don't have now or to be what we're not at this point. If I could only then, I'll be happy. And so we make resolutions. There was a little boy who walked outside of his house one afternoon. The sun was setting and he looked across the valley. He saw a gorgeous house. He was a poor child and he sat on the steps of his house and he gazed across that valley and every evening he would see that house. He said, you know, if only I could live in that house, I would be a happy boy. He kept thinking that thought until finally he said, you know, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go over across that valley and I'm going to see that house and when I grow up, I'm going to make it my own. He walked over to that valley. It took him all day to get there. By the time he got there, it was nighttime. Evening time, the sun again was setting. As he got closer to it, he became very disappointed. That house with shiny, sparkly windows on it, gold it looked like to him, were simply broken panes of glass. And see, he saw it from afar, and he saw the sun bouncing off the house. He thought it looked gold, but it was just the sunset beating on broken windows. He spent the night, got up the next morning, and looked across the other side of the valley... And there was his house. It looked golden to him. The sun was shining on it. And he realized an important lesson that no matter where you are, something else looks a whole lot better. 
And so we're at a threshold, and oftentimes we look back to a past experience. We remember what it was like. If only I could recapture that. Or we look over across the valley and we see that shiny gold mansion. If only I lived there. If only I had this. And so we make those resolutions. Now, it's an important thing to ask ourselves what we want. What do you want out of life? What's the most important thing? If you had your wish list, what truly would make you happy? Did you know that there was a survey taken a hundred years ago asking Americans what they want? They found out the Amer average American, 70 years ago, or a hundred years ago, had 70, 70 wants. 70 things that the average American wanted for himself. They took a poll recently to compare it. They found that the average American has 500 wants today. It seems like the more we have, the more we want. There's just no end to that cry for something. Now, 2,000 years ago, a man stepped into history. His name was Jesus Christ. He came to give to people something they could never get by any resolution, any working for it themselves. In fact, one of his apostles made this promise, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everything old will pass away, and behold, all things become new. He came to give what people cannot get on their own. And so tonight, you don't need a New Year's resolution. You need a New Year's revolution, some of you. I mean a total revolution, a total absolute change from the inside out. And the promise is very important to you. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You know, God never looks for an elite group of people. And Christianity is not for an elite few. It's for anyone. Whoever will come, whoever wants to, let him come. The invitation is open to all. It's not hard to get into heaven. The price has been paid. Those changes aren't difficult if you make the first step, the right start. I know that many people think coming to know God or getting to heaven is a very difficult thing. What can I do? What must I work for? Listen, it's a lot harder to get into UNM than it is to get into heaven. Did you know that? You have to be screened. You have to have the money. All you have to do to get into heaven is admit that you're a sinner, ask God to change you, to forgive you, and come in repentance. And He will accept you the way you are and He will change you tonight and give you indeed a new year and a new life. He did that to a woman in the New Testament. You know her story, most of you. She was a woman from Samaria. Jesus came to her and to make a long story short, He was having a conversation with her and she was kind of calloused and hard and flippant in some of her answers to him. She was drawing water from a well. She was a woman who had had five husbands. You'd think that she'd get it right by the fifth time, but it didn't work out. She left her husband, and now she's living with some guy. Outside of marriage. Just forget it. I've tried this too many times. I'm just going to hang out for a while and see how long it lasts. Jesus approached her as she was taking water out of a well, and he said, if you drink of this water, you're going to get thirsty again. Now, this is something she already knew, obviously. She had probably been there every day. Drink of this water, you'll get thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, 
that water shall be within him like a spring, a fountain, Jesus said, of everlasting life. It springs up to everlasting life. And Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. It was a promise that Jesus gave to her. Now, the promise, I think, is also given to us. There's a lot of fountains out there. I think you've noticed that. They're on TV, they're on the radio, they're driving down the street, and they're little posters and road signs that have all sorts of fountains that promise satisfaction to you. And some of you have tried them, and some of you are trying them right now. And some of you would be described as a person who is drinking at whatever fountain is in front of him or her to be satisfied, but you're still so thirsty. In fact, you're kind of bitter because of it. Oh, I've tried that. Oh, I've tried that. Oh, I've tried that. And some of you might even say, oh, I tried God. God told his people in the Old Testament, he said, my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Number two, they have dug out cisterns, broken cisterns, empty holes that can hold no water. The devil uses the shine and the glitz and the gold across the valley to make us feel so dissatisfied. If I only had then, I know that I'd be satisfied. And we go over and we drink from it and we wipe our mouth and we're thirsty. It didn't work. Have you forsaken a fountain of living water and you're drinking from some dried-out old well? Drink of this well, drink of this water, you'll thirst again. You know that God made you empty? The Bible says God created a subject to emptiness, to vanity. And it's been put this way, you have a hole or a God-shaped void in your life, it's been said. And that's true. God created you with a natural thirst and a drive to find meaning and purpose, fulfillment, in your life. But you will never be fulfilled until you drink from the right well. Ask Solomon. Now here's a guy who had it all. He had money, he had women, he had alcohol, he had money to spend whatever he wanted. And every turn of the page we read where Solomon said, it's all vanity, man, it's all empty. I've tried it. It didn't work. It's bogus. It's fool's gold. I want something more like that woman at the well. So Jesus promised a fountain, not a trickle, not something you have to conserve or ration, but a fountain. And it's something that comes that's in the inside. He fills you and changes you from the inside out. And he said it springs up into eternal life. It's eternal, it's not temporary. Tonight, that's what I want you to think about. Yeah, we're standing, standing on that threshold, that imaginary line. 1994, okay, this is the end of it, 1995. But I want you to think about the big picture. In terms of eternity, a year is nothing. Seventy years is nothing. You should ask yourself, how will I spend or invest my life now that will count for eternity? Over in Europe, there's an interesting cathedral that has three doors as you walk up to it. And there's an inscription over each door. Over one of the doors is the inscription, All that pleases is but for a moment. On the other door, on the far right or left, is inscribed, All that troubles is but for a moment. And then the center door has the inscription, There is nothing important save that which is eternal. 
Everything that is pleasant, everything that troubles, is temporary. The most important decisions are eternal decisions. Now, that would sound obvious, but you'd be amazed how many people don't really make plans for eternity. Don't drink out of a well that will satisfy them for eternity. It's very, very temporary. That's what we ought to think about in this new year. So back to that promise. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. And all things become new. That's the greatest promise for a new year. Old things pass away. Old habits can pass away for you. Old guilt sentiments and patterns can pass away for you. You say, how does that happen? Well, the Bible has a word for it. It's a word that people really don't like. It's called repentance. The Bible didn't say, well, just let me pat you on the back and talk nice things to you and just let you be what you are without any changes. No, the Bible talks about repentance, a complete change. Change of mind, change of heart, change of lifestyle, which comes through God changing your life. And when you come to Him and you turn to Him and you turn from all the old crud, He, he gives you new appetites. Every now and then somebody will say, well, I don't want to come to Jesus. I have to give up so much. Yeah, sin, guilt, hell. Boy, that's a big sacrifice. I don't, I don't know. He's given up so much for you, and He has so much to give to you. And He'll change your appetites. The things that you used to love and crave, they don't have the same allurement. Doesn't mean you won't get tempted, believe me, but they don't satisfy. When I was single, I used to attempt to cook for myself, which was laughable. If you ask any of my friends, and some of them have come and told you what I used to serve them, but I would cook things like hamburger helper, and I'd cook a huge pot of it, like two boxes of it. I'd put it on the stove, and I'd heat up, you know, the whole batch of it, and we'd have a little bit, and I'd just leave it on the stove for that week. And, uh, you know, the next day we'd take out our portion and uh, eat a little more. And by the end of the week, sitting on the stove, and I didn't want to refrigerate it because it's a lot easier to heat it up when it's room temperature. I'm serious. I survived like this. And to make it worse, I liked it. I actually enjoyed it. Then I got married. And my wife can cook. And you know, an interesting thing happened. When she would cook meals, I would sit there just kind of like overawed. Real food again. And you know, I never had an appetite for Hamburger Helper after that. And I said, honey, can I cook this week? No, you can't. I never wanted to do it. The things that once were okay to me and that I liked, they didn't have the same draw for me. He gives you new appetites. And He'll take away guilt. He'll change you completely. That's what you've got to know. And really, one of the purposes for this service tonight is for a few reasons. Number one, we come together to celebrate, to have fun, to reflect, to fellowship, but also to give people who aren't sure about their relationship with God a chance to make sure. To us, that's very important. Because we are constantly in joy to watch people turn their lives over to Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than to see Him change a life, to change a heart. Years ago, when communism was big and it was spreading through Eastern Europe, at one of the communist meetings, in a large auditorium, the leader of the Communist Party stood up 
And he addressed the crowd and he said, Communism will put a coat on every man. Yes, that's right. We'll put a new coat on every man. One man stood up in the audience and said, maybe you'll put a new coat on every man, but Jesus Christ can put a new man in every coat. He'll change you from the inside out. He'll make you a new person. Now, you will change, period. You're going to change. By the end of this year, you will see changes in your life. That's one of the constants in our society is that you're constantly changing. But you can control this change. You could make a decision tonight to make a change that will affect not only your new year, but the rest of your life. And perhaps one of the reasons you've come tonight. In fact, maybe the very reason you're here tonight is to hear Randy and to hear Paul Clark and to hear this message, but to hear it enough to respond and say, I surrender my life. And I want a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm willing now to turn, to repent, to confess my sins and to ask Him to forgive me. I want Him to come inside. I want to know this God personally and I'm going to do it tonight. Maybe that's you. And maybe you're feeling a tug in your heart. Like the little boy who was flying his kite on a beautiful day, sunny day. There was a few clouds in the sky and soon his kite kept going and going and going and it was hidden behind one of the clouds. He couldn't see it anymore. An older fellow came up to him and said, well, what are you doing? He goes, I'm flying my kite. He says, I don't see a kite. How do you know it's there? The little boy said, I know my kite's there because I feel the tug. Well, where's God? Well, I don't see Him. Well, tonight, maybe for the first time, you're feeling a tug. He's tugging your heart. He's pulling the strings of your life. He's saying, come to me. If that's true, then tonight, what it takes is a simple agreement. It's what the word confess means. That you agree with God about your condition and about what you need to do. That you're a sinner. That you need to repent. And that you follow through with that. You ask Jesus to forgive you, to cleanse you. You give your life to Him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank You for the way You do change us. The way You're willing to come and, first of all, arrange our lives so that we might hear a message like this or a concert like this. We've looked across so many valleys and we've seen so many shiny things and when we get there, it's just a beat-up old house. We've taken drinks out of so many wells and we're still thirsty. And there you've been all along holding out a fountain of living water, a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that, like that woman at the well of Samaria, that tonight we just abandon any other pursuits, that we would admit all along that what you've said about us is true that we have fallen short, that we're sinners and that we need to come to you. Moreover, that you've got such a huge heart of mercy and love. And you're willing tonight to forgive and to make all things new. And in this attitude of meditation, silence, I'm going to just ask if there's any of you tonight who would say, I want to make a change in my life tonight. I'm ready to make that turn. I'm ready to surrender my life to God, to let Him come inside and to take over my life. If that is the case, if God is tugging at your heart, 
I'd like you, wherever you're sitting, to raise your hand up high so that I can see your hand. And I'm going to pray for you before we go on with this service. Raise it up high. Just say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus tonight. Keep it up. God bless you and you over here. You in the middle. You up front. Over here in the middle again. Anybody else? Just raise your hand up. Say, Skip, pray for me. I'm going to give my life to him tonight. I'm not going to play church. I'm not going to goof off. I'm not going to run from him. Anybody else? Raise your hand up. Over here on the side. Toward the back. If God is tugging, I want you just to raise your hand up right now and say, I'm I'm ready tonight. I want this to be a new year, a new start. God bless you. Father, we want to thank you for these who have made that very, very important date with your love. Who have admitted that their life isn't what it could be, what it ought to be. And they desire to have a relationship with you. They want all things new. I pray that you'd come in, invade their life, change them completely. And as they follow through with that commitment, Lord, write their name in your book of life. Lord, I pray that you would put a new man or a new woman in that coat. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to ask you to do one final thing. I should have a musician up here by now. Paul Clark should have been here. Oh, he is here. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Clark. Um, He did come. But if you raise your hand tonight, Paul's going to play a song, and he's going to play a few more songs after this. If you raised your hand tonight, I'm going to ask you to follow through with that. See, Jesus died publicly for everyone on this earth. He died in front of the crowds in Jerusalem. And he called people publicly. And he said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. That's why when we call people, and we ask them to give their lives to Christ. We ask them to do it publicly because Jesus died publicly. He called people publicly. And God never called anybody to be a stealth Christian. Uh, Inspector Clouseau believer. So as Paul sings this last song, or not this last song, this first song for him. Last song for first me. First and last song. First and last song. Then I'd like you to get up from where you are if you raise your hand and, and come forward. Walk forward and I want you to stand here. I'm going to... Uh, say a word of prayer with you. Maybe if somebody brought you who's a Christian, that Christian could walk you up the aisle and stand with you and uh, give you that encouragement and support. So if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, but God has been tugging at your heart, you get up out of your seat and you come right now and you stand and I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. Just begin to come.